Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Modern Adventurer podcast. These things are obviously really sort of in your face when you're there and you know I got I got actually chucked in a room and, and held for three days in one, one village and I got treated you know to a stage where I, I was trying to obviously be a good person all the time and, and treat them well and and it was just there was just real suspicion and real I'm John Horsfall, and on this weekly podcast, we talk to adventurers and explorers from around the world who have made remarkable and daring journeys in recent years. From Everest climbers to polar explorers, world record holders, and many more, we listen to the crazy stories from their expeditions, and sometimes tragic losses and sacrifices they have made. My next guest is an adventurer and explorer. I had the opportunity to speak to him over a Zoom call with a slightly dodgy internet line while he was staying in a canal boat up in Warwickshire. He has travelled all over the world but specialises in walking African rivers from source to mouth, completing the River Zambezi in 2016. I am delighted to introduce Chaz Powell. Hello. Uh, well, I mean, I've been following your journey for a number of years, and I suppose for people listening, probably, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, about what you do? Okay, cool. Yeah, so I've I've sort of been traveling for about 17 years now, and um, I started by sort of like traveling around the world, doing sort of backpacker type uh, locations and things like that, and the more I've traveled, the more I've sort of done and extreme expeditions as well and I guess the last sort of five years I've been doing a lot of Africa's walking a lot of Africa's farthest rivers I walked the length of the Zambezi River from 2016 to 2017 and I've done another walk along the Gambia River and walked across Madagascar following Madagascar's longest river um just I've just traveled I've done a lot of traveling a lot of expeditions a lot of walking a lot of uh, exploring and things like that and I guess it's just something that I just keep doing I lead expeditions as a sort of career as well and uh, teach bushcraft and survival and yeah just just quite a nomadic person really so how did um what sort of started this all off because you did your big expedition in 2016 along with the, the river Zambezi um, how did that all sort of start about and what what got you to do this and why? So the Zambezi, um, I'd, I'd been doing like an overland of Africa in 2012 and I sort of fell in love with Africa in general. I was doing a lot of uh, volunteering at wildlife sanctuaries and, and I was doing a lot of sort of travel based on wildlife and, and sort of uh, wild parts of Africa. Really. And I sort of fell in love with it. Uh, so that's about eight years ago now and... 
I've always done lots of little journeys. I've always done lots of little expeditions, lots of walks and, and lots of traveling. And I always had this passion to do uh, a really wild journey by foot. And um, I'd been traveling a lot near the Zambezi regions. And it was a place that I, um, I just got more and more fond of, really, and more and more interested in and intrigued with. And I came up with the idea to, well, it was a bit of a, it wasn't really an idea at the time. I just thought to myself, you know, has anyone ever walked the length of the Zambezi? Is it, is it, because it's the wildest river in Africa? Is it, is it doable? And the more I sort of asked people about it, the more people just sort of laughed and said, no. Um, I just, it just, it just grew in my mind. And walking the length of the Zambezi was like an idea I had. And I had a number of ideas for different walks. And I was going to do another walk the length of Madagascar. And I don't know if you've heard of a guy called Ash Dykes, but at the same yeah. time, uh, I was, I was going to go out and walk the length of Madagascar. Ash Dykes was also going to be doing it as well. So I decided I wasn't going to do it because obviously it wasn't the same. If two people are doing it at a similar time, it's not really going to work. So I, I went back to the Zambezi idea and it was still an, an expedition that was really sort of something I really felt like I wanted to do. And then it just, it just happened from that idea really. And it was a progression and because it's the wildest river in Africa, I call it the wildest journey. It was the wildest journey that I'd ever taken on in my life. And it was the wildest journey that I could think of that I wanted to do. What, what about the river makes it so wild? So it's, uh, it's classed as the wildest river in Africa. I think it's partly due to the wildlife, different wildlife reserves along the river. There's a lot of wildlife reserves, but, also, the amount of countries it goes through that are quite hostile in places. It's quite remote in places. Well, most of it's remote. And there's, a, there's about 150-mile section of rapids, which just carves through the land, and it's quite fierce. And there's floodplains. There's political issues. There's, there's a lot. Of, I think, yeah, most of the river is just cr- pretty wild. I don't know why they've classed it as the wildest. I guess it's partly to do with reason maybe there's a another reason but i think it's got a lot of rapids a lot of wild sections to the river so yeah i think it's 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 just got it's earned that name maybe it's through history as well of, of things it's done i don't know but it's definitely a very wild place okay and so were you were you doing that expedition solo yeah i did i i set well i set out with a, a guide who i'd managed to get on team initially um he was a local zambian guy and um, once we got out to the water river i think the reality of obviously what we were going to do was too much for him and he, and he decided on the first day that he wasn't going to continue the walk so i i walked on my own you know i walked on my own 137 days and i think at least 100 days i was on my own in really sort of wild areas and stuff like that but i had people join me for sections and things but mostly on my own yeah so in terms of the sort of locals that you encountered, I mean, you went through, what, five, six countries from the sort of Congo, Angola, Mozambique. How do the different countries sort of compare in terms of uh, hospitality? The only really country I got treated well in was Zambia. I mean, it starts in Zambia and it, mo- most of it's in Zambia. It borders, it goes through Angola for a small stretch. It goes along the border of Botswana, Namibia and Zimbabwe on the Zambia side of it for, for the most most part really. And 
in Zambia, I got treated really well. There was there were some areas it was quite hostile, and and I got mm. um, I got a few issues, but for the most part, it was it was really good. And Zambia, you know, going to a village, they looked after me. You know, they they treated me really well. Um, but Mozambique was was a bit the opposite, really. That was I got treated with a lot of suspicion there. They did obviously been in a war and things, and it was quite uh, quite a difficult place to walk through, really. Well, so they always thought you were a sort of yeah. Western spy or spy for the government. Yeah, I mean, in even in Zambia, I'd, I'd go through a village and they'd obviously be really suspicious about why is this guy in this village and who is this person, you know, and they probably the first white person they've ever seen. And walking through their village, uh, they were obviously really surprised and really sort of like shocked. Some of them thought I was some kind of demon or ghost or some kind of reincarnation of David Livingston. That's probably the only person they actually knew of who would have <laughs> gone through there through history. So it was, it was, they were baffled. But then once, once they sort of got over the fact I was obviously not a threat to them and things that they, they, they treated me really well, like a guest and invite me in. And in Mozambique, they'd just come out of a civil war. So it was more about suspicion and about, this guy could potentially be a spy. This guy could be back to our village. He could be a lot of why is he here, you know, more than yeah. welcoming, welcoming me and things like that. So it was, it was a completely different sort of thing, really. In terms of walking, because it's what, 2,500 odd kilometers, the river? Yeah, it's about two and a half thousand. I think with diversions, I probably did about 3,000 kilometers or something like that, but it was, it was, um, yeah, it's a big old river. What was the reason for the sort of diversions away? Was it just flat, uh, floodplains or was it? There was flood, floodplains. I had to zigzag and things and go round and up and over. And there was like walking through swamps for a couple of weeks. And then I had to sit, keep going to high ground, trying to walk around these swampy areas and, and divert around national parks as well. Sometimes there was a huge national park I wasn't allowed to walk through. I had to walk around on the roads, uh, people's properties, you know, farms, um, you know, swamps. Um, and there was so many things I had to make diversions for, and it was really, it was really tricky to stay by the river, as you can expect. A river is going to be overgrown. There's going to be wildlife. There's going to be really sort of uh, difficult areas to walk through. So. I found that I had to keep moving away, you know, maybe going up hills and around and mountainous areas, and it was just really tricky. God, stay next. Any issues with the wildlife there? The wildlife, I didn't really have much, is many issues with it. I mean, there was there was a few times I was really sort of on edge because I would be walking through areas where there was a lot of buffaloes and elephants, and there was lion prints and leopard prints and things everywhere and um, there was one point I was walking towards the national park towards the lower Zambezi national park and there was actually a lot of signs of elephants I could hear lions at night and things it was really sort of wildlife based area and as I was walking down this one track I heard all this crashing to the side of me and there was a big bull elephant charging towards me Luckily, I had sort of a dip next to me on the other side of the land and I managed to climb down and sort of get away from this bull elephant that was charging towards me. And um, stuff like that happened, you know, there was there was a lot of close encounters, and a lot of real um, dicey moments, you know, there was lions near 
where I was camping and there was there was so there was a lot there was a lot of wildlife sort of potential wildlife um, problems but I was just really lucky I think anyone is walking in the bush you know it's 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 difficult to know if you're going to come across anything and luckily mm. I didn't really encounter any problems but Good. I mean, an aggressive bull elephant is uh, pretty terrifying. I've been chased by one, but I was in a car, so I certainly felt a little bit okay. more at ease having the accelerator ready to go. But walking in the bush on yeah. your own or with a guide and being chased must be quite something. It was, yeah, I mean, I, I was told as I was leading up to this park, I shouldn't be in the area, so I, I knew I shouldn't be there and I knew I was potentially going to be in danger but because you're trying to walk and you're trying to get to a safer place you haven't got much choice unless you're going to get a vehicle I was quite stubborn that I obviously wanted to keep walking so the more I the more I put myself into these places the more risk I was obviously at and it was pretty scary and I, I knew that I was potentially going to come into harm's way at some point determined to, to keep walking you know and there was times when I had guides as well as certain areas. I had to have a guide, otherwise I wouldn't have been allowed to walk through. But obviously I was on a bit of a budget as well. So these these companies and these these ranges and things, they're not going to do stuff for free. So sometimes yeah. I try and quickly get through places. Was that expedition uh, self-funded or did you have sponsors with you? Uh, no sponsors. Yeah, it was all self. The Zambies was all self-funded. I just, it was just something I really wanted to do, and I just ended up. Yeah, I wasn't funded at all. I just saved, saved my own money, and I just, just went out and did it. Yeah, there was. I mean, I worked for an expedition company and paid for my flights and things, um, which, well, I worked out there before, and I got a flight back with them, sort of thing, but. There was no, there was no money being paid. There was no sponsorship, no grants, no funding, no, no anything really. And it was just a case of once I had all my stuff on my back, and I, and I was obviously on the expedition. I didn't really need need anything else. I just um, had what was in my bag, and I just, just walked, you know. Yeah. That was it. So you need a pair of feet and a backpack ready to yeah. go. God. It's easy I to overanalyze it, isn't it? It's easy to think you need more than you do, and once you've got what you've got then you don't really need anything else really mm. you just have to sort of go with the flow and hope things work out really i suppose on some of my expeditions uh, one that springs to mind is my trip across kenya is the locals are usually uh just couldn't be more friendly and but in your case they you were sort of treated with suspicion the biggest part of that expedition was zambia i think because I was in such remote areas that they did they didn't see anybody else, you know, they didn't have these people visitors coming into their village. And I think them places there was there was, you know, right there was suspicion, rightly so, because of they wouldn't you wouldn't expect this sort, you know, a person to be walking through this sort of tourist or whatever it is with a backpack walking through their village. And they'd obviously want to know why are you here and what are you doing? And I don't know if it was it wasn't necessarily hostile. It was just like com real confusion for them. And if yeah. anything, they were a bit scared because they, they, they thought that, you know, they might be in danger maybe. I don't know. But it was, you know, for the most part in touristy areas and whatever else, I'd, I'd be treated amazingly, you know. And the closer I got to 
sort of civilizations, I'd be treated really well and there wasn't any issues. But Mozambique, I think it's a, a different sort of place. You know, it's there is probably areas in Mozambique that are really friendly, but I couldn't walk anywhere without getting harassed, really. The police would stop me and it would literally tip my bag up, um, empty everything out, ask me for my passport, ask me for money. And um, I didn't, you know, I, did, I, I really struggled in Mozambique. I, I literally be sat in the police station for hours and they'd be questioning me and, and, and it all boiled down to they just, they were just doing this and they, they wanted, they wanted money in order to let me just walk or go wherever. And, you know, there, there obviously there was good people, definitely was good people, but I think they just, they've just been through a hard time. They've been through difficult times and, that was how they lived, you know, they, 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 yeah, I don't know. It was, it was, it's a tricky one. It's a difficult one to talk about because these things are obviously really sort of in your face when you're there. And, you know, I got, I got actually chucked in a room and, and held for three days in one, one village. And I got treated, you know, to a stage where I, I was trying to obviously be a good person all the time and, and treat them well and, and it was just there was just real suspicion and real sort of real sort of hostility in, in in some of the areas and I had to obviously think about why is it happening and focus on the fact that they have been through a difficult time and I shouldn't really be walking through their village I am you know I'm classed as being maybe a threat to their village they don't know who I am they don't know why I'm there they can't speak the same language as me they can't understand why I'd be there and I had to sort of put myself into these modes every time that I was getting host hostility to then obviously to then uh, sort of yeah justify why why I was getting treated maybe the way I was just sort of be patient with it and, and get through them times and then um, you know the good times when I was getting treated real, really well were obviously magnified because of difficult times I'd had in different areas and things like that. Is that what sort of motivated you to sort of keep going when you had these hard times? Yeah, I think you get to the stage where you put yourself through real difficult moments and then you do have an incentive to sort of then say, right, I'm going to reach this place tomorrow and if I just keep pushing, I'll be in a really nice area where I can get some food or I can relax and I can you know, I can be around sort of, you know, maybe a, a nicer environment and potential yeah there, there was it was always incentives one of the strange things that even myself Tim, myself and Tim who I'm on the boat with he he walked the Gambia river with me so he's also a, an explorer type person as well but we we always used to give ourselves incentives of getting to a place where it had a shop you know just to, just a shop and then if they had any kind of cold drinks that would be that would be our biggest, that was strangely our biggest incentive, a cold drink, anywhere that had a fridge and anywhere that, because we we'd literally just drunk hot river water the whole time. It was just river water every day, you know, and, and, and if we saw a shop, we knew there might be a shop in a village or a little town that we'd be like, right, there's a shop, two days time, we're going to reach a shop, there's going to be a fridge, we're going to get, you know, copious amounts of cold drinks. And that happened quite a few times. It seems like a really bizarre reason to have an incentive, but it became something that was so important, which which I guess if you look at the Western world, we've got all these material objects that we focus on and 
that might have been part of it. You know, I might have been thinking, right, I can have a Coca-Cola or whatever it is. On one of our last podcasts, I was sort of talking about a trip I did. And there was a time where in 2012, when I was cycling, I ended up staying in, sleeping in the loos. And it was purely because it had electricity and a basin. And for like, for weeks, I'd been sort of camping in dirt and everything. And so the idea Mm -hmm. of having fresh running water and a light. And I suppose for you, you know, when you are going through 40 degree heat, walking day after day, 20 miles, the sort of uh, idea of having a cold Coca-Cola or Sprite or water was sort of motivation to sort of keep you going. Yeah, I mean, there was obviously bigger incentives. Like if we reached a a main town, then we know potentially we've got a little hotel or there is restaurants and stuff like that. But we knew that, you know, when when you're on major expeditions in really remote areas that you you pinpoint these little towns that might have a fridge or it might be, yeah, one fridge in a village and you, it's like a glorious moment. You see this fridge open and you've got all these drinks just uh, in front of you and you're like, wow. It's just, it's, it's really, it seems really petty, doesn't it? And it seems a bit daft, but yeah, there was obviously like reaching major towns, you'd have a hotel and that would be like something else, you know, that'd be just incredible. Yeah, the, the, the silly little things that we take for granted. And I think that's what it does as well. It, it teaches me and it teaches anybody, you know, that we, we're literally living with nothing and we, we have anything that we do have. You know, the simple things that we do have in this world, we've got so many things that we have in this world that we don't even think about. And when you're in Africa, there's none of that. And if you see any kind of little sign of one of these luxuries, then it it, it triggers something like, wow, you know. But then when you get home, you realise that you've actually got more than you'd ever need, you know, to, to, to live and be comfortable. And, and we are just so spoiled here. And we moan about ever, like what we were saying before about divisions and we moan about everything from every angle and we're just we're such a torn nation but we're also so greedy and there's no reason to be um, moaning about every little thing i'm going off on one now but it's just uh, <laughs> well yeah. i i think sort of the more you travel the more you really appreciate where you live the sort of luxuries that you have and so when you sometimes hear someone complaining about something just so minor you know like why did the amazon parcel not come today and why it came you're sort of like these things are just just nothing in comparison to the outside and as you say when you are when you are going on these trips and you know walking for 2500 miles uh through worn torn countries the idea of coming back and someone complaining about something so minor it's quite hard to sometimes yeah. take. I mean, it, everyone does it. We all do it. And I think the more comfortable you get, the more you sort of, you get difficult. But if you put yourself in a difficult situation, a like really difficult situation, when you come out of that situation, then you're going to appreciate things a lot more. And you're going to stop moaning about things a lot more. And you're going to just appreciate everything, I guess. And just What was the sort of mindset that you had for this sort of trip? Because... To I think people listening, I think sometimes one can't really comprehend when, as you say, we talk about having the sort of luxuries in the Western world to suddenly going off and doing a 2000 trek across war-torn countries or 
months and months on end. What was the sort of thinking and mindset behind that? And what's sort of kept you going each day? Because I think to do these trips, you have to have a certain thing in the back of your mind that sort of pushes you. Because as you say, when you're thrown into a village and held there for three days, most people would be like, I've had enough of this. This is, this is too much. But what was in the back yeah. of your mind, which sort of said, no, I've got to keep going? You know, partly you, you keep going because you want to get out of that difficult situation you're in, you know, mentally, because you're in a, if it's a difficult situation, you're obviously like inside your head, you're like, this is really difficult. I need to get out of it. But then, so your incentive is to obviously get out of that situation. But I think to begin with, if you're going to go out and do your expeditions, you need to be able to be sure that you can handle them situations or, or want to handle them situations. I think because it's about, I find, I, I think I'm mentally very, very strong. You know, and if I'm in a difficult situation, I can look at ways to get out of it. And I, I also think to myself that, you know, this is not a permanent situation. This is something I'm going through that I need to learn from. And I'm going to come out the other side and, and I'm going to get to an area where it's going to be a completely different situation. And I find that expeditions are, you know, for the most part, they're difficult. You know, there's there's 50-50 maybe of euphoric moments and difficult moments, whether or not you're walking in really hot weather, getting um, potential threats from different areas and getting hostility or you're getting um, tired, exhausted or whatever it is. And then you've got these euphoric moments where you're camping out in wonderful places. You've got the wildlife, you've got humble people that are treating you really, really well. So there's a combination of both. And I think you just mentally need to understand every situation that you're going to put yourself in and appreciate it. Because if you don't, then you're not going to be able to handle it, which is why I think, um, I don't know. I, I mean, it's it's also a learning thing. You know, the more you travel, there's a comfort zone. You're going to stretch that comfort zone. You're going to want to to do different things. You're going to want to um, push yourself even further and you're going to get more comfortable with that situation. So I think it's partly that, you know, some people will be like, oh, I'm, I don't feel comfortable with that. And, but maybe if they did a few smaller walks or they did a little trip out there first and did a did a recce of the area and figured out if they actually feel comfortable with it, then the more they get used to them things, the more they're going to be able to put themselves through them situations, if you know what I mean. And I find that, yeah, experience does help. But sometimes it's just a case of, getting out there, learning from it, you know, get your stuff. And, and if you if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you're going to come back and you're going to have learned a lesson about yourself or whatever. I mean, would you would you do it again or are you very much, I've done that, I've, because you moved on to um, Gambia, the Gambia River yeah. and a few others. Is the idea yeah. is just slowly to sort of, it's about exploring the different rivers rather than that particular area. Yeah, I think it's about the project became walking Africa's wildest rivers in the sort of battle against wildlife crimes. So it was about going through different areas, walking through different along different rivers, doing obviously iconic expeditions that people rarely go to these areas. So it's about exploration and discovery and about doing something unique and different for myself. But also it's about highlighting certain problems that are happening with wildlife and the loss of wildlife, the sort of. It's about, I don't know, I just, for myself, I just love exploring and I, I want to go to different areas where I've never been or, 
not many people have been and I wanted to sort of go and see these these places. You know, I'm not, I've never been a fan of following the usual sort of trails that people go to. I mean, I do I do a lot of training and do a lot of walks and stuff. But when I think for my own personal big expeditions, I want to go off the beaten track and I want to go and explore and have that sense of doing something different and wild and extreme. And I think all of my expeditions, like the Wildest Journey, have been about trying to tick them boxes. Zambezi is obviously insane, you know, walk. And then Gambia Walk is a walk that no one had ever done before. And uh, we set out to do it. And there was huge obstacles in the way, like walking through giant lion parks and things like that. And there was there was a lot of obstacles. And I think it's more about going and doing different journeys that are interesting and unique to myself. And, you know, I think others obviously appreciate the fact that <clears throat> I'm putting myself in really wild situations. And I'm also um, showing people places that not many people go to, you know. And, and I think wildlife companies and different companies and, and people and organize they're interested in seeing things that people don't see you know and, and places that people don't go to and I think that's more of the draw for me is just just doing interesting journeys that that haven't been done or or just are difficult to do and I think the more I've done things like I said about the comfort zone the more I feel I need to keep doing extreme things that that have been not been done before or, or just or just or, or interesting, interesting expeditions in my mind. In your experience with the wildlife in Africa, are you hopeful or pessimistic about the future? That's a good question. You know, I mean, I'm or do you think it, or do you think it depends but, on the different countries and the different um, laws and legislations that they have to do with wildlife? Oh yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely got to do with the different laws and legislations and things and I think but it's about I think it's hard to see it's hard to see how things will pan out you know I think obviously the population grows the areas get smaller the wildlife's being poached and hunted and and it's it's really difficult from that side but then you see about all all these organizations and these projects that are happening and people are slowly sort of protecting reserves and and making sure that they're not going to be encroached upon by populations and things. But then also, you know, you've got elephants and things that migrate, different animals migrate, and they're going into conflict with humans. And, and there's a lot of problems. And I think that I don't want to obviously speak, you, you know yourself probably, but a lot of Africa is not straightforward with, with, with saying, you know, we need this to happen. This is a problem. They'll be like, well, we've got other priorities and, and it can be quite corrupt as well, you know, and I don't want to name any sort of organisations, but there is a lot of corruption in Africa and, and there's a lot of difficulties with, with with initiating any kind of protection or any kind of fair system. And I think that it, it's a, it's a, I'm optimistic, always optimistic, but then at the same time, I can see areas that are really difficult to, to sort of concentrate on with, with wildlife and, you know, there's so many people outside sources that are always going to Africa and rip the place to pieces, you know, in a, in a whole, horrible way of saying it. But it's not it's not necessarily the African people and the African governments and organisations that are the problem. Sometimes there's, there's outside influence. And there's there's deforestation from different sources. There's you know there's poaching from different sources. There's uh, there's just wildlife. 
you know, massacres. And it's just, there's, there's horrendous things happening, but there's also amazing things happening. I think it's one of the things that needs to constantly be assessed. There needs to be more education for local people. There needs to be um, less um, outside interference with things and and sort of like natural resources and things, you know, like the obviously trees and the, the rivers, things need protecting. And it, it's once again, it's 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 difficult. Africa's a difficult place, as, as you probably know yourself, but it's there's a lot of hope in Africa and there's a lot of um, good people. I think compared to 10 years ago, where I think there was very, I wouldn't say little hope, but I think now it's being talked about a lot more and people are starting to take action. I, because when I was out in Kenya in 2018, I was in the North uh, Masai Mara Conservancy and they have a great sort of system whereby I think 10, 15, 20 years ago or something, the government gave each Maasai family 50 acres. And what they did was then they put barriers up and fences so the wildlife couldn't move around. And then they sort of pitched together and decided what, you know, how, because it, the Maasai people love their cattle and they love, and also it used to be tradition to be a man, you had to go and kill a lion. But now that's changed and they see a lion being alive, it's more valuable to them than a lion being dead. So they've completely changed the culture in that respect to preserve the probably delicate ecosystem. And, you know, when we were, when I was there, the Maasai Mara was just alive with, it was just full of game. And I think in other countries, that sort of system could, but could be implemented. But again, it needs to benefit the local people. And a lot of the time, you know, elephants when they're killed, it's it's not sometimes because of poaching, it's because they've encroached on farmer's land. The farmer has to decide whether he loses his entire crop to the elephant or kills the elephant. And unless you say, yeah. unless there's compensation or there's something, I think it's a very difficult, difficult. yeah, for them. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, there's, a, there's like you say about this, there's these real difficult issues that, we don't always look at like the the land and the conflict between them. And, but then, yes, there is compared to ten years ago. Maybe there's more organisations, more projects, more sort of things being focused on helping and, and protecting and working together with the wildlife. It's a really difficult process and it changes all the time. It changes all the time the systems and the ways of doing things. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I think. Um it's changed from where it was 10, 15 years ago. I think now there is more emphasis on preserving wildlife in Africa. And I think sometimes you've got to look at the the good as well as the bad. Yeah, definitely. I think Madagascar was a place that really opened my eyes because I was, you know, I I go through these places and I obviously concentrate on the, the good side of it, what's happening in good places. And Madagascar, you know, there was the reserves which which are protected and well-maintained and they're really, really good. But then you go into the bulk of Madagascar, the core of it, and the place has been decimated. You know, the trees are just gone. The land is just on fire. 
it's hard to like you know say anything positive about some of these parts that you know Madagascar is a very lawless country in in the central area of it and there's not much known about that central area of Madagascar and the place has been ripped to pieces with you know the, the fact that they need the trees for charcoal and um, building or whatever else and it's uh it's difficult you know because you see the land getting smaller and smaller and smaller and people needing more and more and more and yes i think some countries there is a real emphasis on projects and protecting and, and whatnot but some countries I'm, I'm seeing the opposite and it's quite worrying really what's your next trip then so the next trip was supposed to be happening now i was supposed to be out there in august walking till about november december and i was going to be walking the orange river southern africa i was going to be walking across africa like so crossing africa itself in namibia um and Bos- um, and south africa and i was going to be walking the length of the orange river which is about 1400 miles along the river and the walk itself would have been obviously a couple of thousand miles with the crossing of africa um, so that is still something I want to do, still something I've got on the cards, but it's difficult to obviously say it's going to happen this time, that time at the moment. So it's something that I'm, I'm saying is my next expedition, but at the same time, I'm just, I'm just waiting and seeing what, what happens in the world. The UK, I've been walking a lot of stuff here as well. I've walked most of the UK's rivers and a lot of the big rivers here in the UK and I'm doing different national park crossings as well. And, I'm going to be running quite a few of them next year. Organising a major expedition at the moment is just something that is is quite difficult, I think, in a yeah. different country. You know, I, I thought about doing many things, and I even think about just getting my bag and just walking and not stopping, really. But it's, um, it's tricky. Wait until you get to a border, and they're like, no, no, no one quarantine two weeks. Well, that's it, isn't it? You know, you can't you can't even go into another country and move and, and without there being some kind of rules. You've got to go in quarantine and you got to test. You got to do this, and, and I I think uh, it's just becoming more and more ridiculous, to be honest. But at the same time, if the virus is as bad as what some people say, then and then what can you say about it? What can you do? So okay. um. Uh, this is the uh, part of the show where we ask the same five questions to each guest that comes on each week, um, which is like the first nice. be the first being, what's the one bizarre thing that you crave or miss when you're away? So I guess you're just being able to just to relax, really, because when I'm on expedition, I'm just obviously in the zone of just it's quite intense, you know. I'm just obviously doing this in extreme expedition and, and just being able to just go somewhere and shut myself off and just relax and just sort of wind down and things like that is I find really difficult when I'm on an expedition so there's obviously things you I miss that you know material basic things like food's obviously a massive thing I always miss but I don't know so it's a it's a difficult question I guess just have what like one one thing but yeah there's there's quite a bit I think but yeah, probably just the element of just being able to just relax. We've had uh, Jaffa cakes, coffee, pizza, a oh, chair, right. objects. Yeah, I don't. I think material stuff. I don't. I don't miss too much. I think food is is always going to be a thing because you're going to be hungry. You're going to be eating rations and things like that. And there's always 
there's always certain foods I miss, like cheesecake. I like cheesecake, so maybe that's probably a good answer for. What is your favourite adventure book? I think the one that inspired me years and years ago was Into the Wild, which I know is a film, which was, I know is a you know quite a well documented book and film. But Into the Wild, I read that probably a good 15, 20 years ago, and it that was something that inspired me to just just travel and feel like I was being free and without restrictions and stuff like that. So I know there's a there's a lot of travel books. I've read quite a few. I think that one stands out more than the others. Okay. Um, did you have like an inspirational figure growing up? I didn't. I, you know, I didn't have any sort of family members that were inspirational with, with, with the travel-based theme. You know, I didn't really have anyone around me which was inspiring me to actually travel and do expeditions. I think it was, yeah, it was something that was just inside me to actually want to travel, I guess, and just explore. Something. You know, no, no, I just no. crave doing I think maybe things like watching David Attenborough documentaries probably would have been my closest form of being inspired to actually the conservation and the wildlife type thing. I think probably, yeah, maybe I'll say David Attenborough, but he wasn't around me. I'll just say he was someone that was was there that that I looked up to maybe and and sort of admired as far as uh, what, what I'd like to do in my own life, you know. And what about a sort of favourite quote or motivational quote? The less you have, the richer you are. Is that is that a quote? That sort of that sort of lifestyle, you know, as far as minimalizing what you have as as personal objects, it makes you richer as far as being humble and just being more um, appreciative of things. And I, I'm trying to sort of think. It's the I think it's the Dalai Lama's proverb which is the sort of paradox of choice mm, yeah where, where I, I can't remember the quote exactly but it's the sort of idea of the more you have the more worries you have and it's a, i think it goes along the same sort of lines is what you're guessing at i can never fully remember how they go you know i'll probably have my own little versions of them and stuff like that but i think just i like a lot of the, the buddhist type quotes you know about everything's equal and, and that sort of thing about karma and I do believe in a lot of whatever you're giving out is going to come back to you and, and things like that and I think that it's really important just to like we said before about remember appreciate what you've got and you know and, and material objects and things aren't necessarily as important as, as we make them to be so I think yeah. that side of things is something I've always sort of followed really um people listening are always keen to travel and go on adventures what's the one thing that you would recommend them to get started i mean if they're in the uk there's so many uk based trails that are just incredible we've got we've got you know hundreds of different trails in the uk that we can get out and walk but i think you know if they if they want to get out and do adventures depending on what they want to do if they want to go hiking like i i do then i just say maybe go and do a couple of day treks somewhere in the uk and just Get used to wild camping and 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 being adventurous and seeing if you enjoy it before you obviously commit to doing six months down the Zambezi or whatever it is. But maybe just yeah, tackle the West Highland Way or Hadrian's Wall or one of the UK trails and 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 do that. And and even like Europe, you know, if you want to go a bit further afield, there's so many long distance trails and different islands with different trails on that are just incredible. And and I think ease yourself in. I think it's a case of like your comfort zone, just just slowly stretch it out, and until you know exactly that 
you want to keep doing it and you, you want to do more extreme things, really. So I think just the UK has got an incredible network of, of different trails and also incredible community of people that actually inspire others, you know, maybe get involved with a community of adventure-like people and, uh, you know, sort of get out and do stuff with them or get out and learn things and, and inspire and, yeah, just 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 take a step and just get out and do something really and so what are you doing now and how can people find you so at the moment i'm in lockdown you know in the uk i'm i'm living in my van um i'm slowly sort of trying to plan expeditions for next year and things like that but i will be planning a load of expeditions in the uk next year so loads of little uh, mini expeditions that I, i want people to come and get involved with as well so if anyone wants to get involved with them, then please get in touch. Uh, the Wildest Journey is my social media platform, the name of the project, the wild, obviously Walking Africa's Rivers. So type in The Wildest Journey on any social media platform and you should find me. And then uh, thewildestjourney.com is my website, which I put all of my expedition-based things on there, all of my training weekends and expeditions and my talks, my, uh, yeah, different, different, journeys i've done i've put them all on the website so check out the wildestjourney.com and that's the website amazing well Chaz, thank you so much for coming on today and i look forward to uh following your adventures next year when they all kick off thank you very much for having me on john it's been a pleasure mate join us next time on the modern adventurer podcast between the hills and um yeah climbed up them took just under four months doing it um i i think it was 2200 kilometers on foot and 2400 on the bike or something i should really know this off the top of my head but it was over 2000 kilometers on both bike and foot and it it kind of equated to i think on average it was about climbing everest from sea level each week thank you for listening You can watch the videos on YouTube now and please tell your friends about the podcast, subscribe and leave a review on iTunes as it makes a huge difference to the show. Thank you and have a great day.